is, let's just start with the background of the book of Hebrews and uh, maybe touch on the first chapter to maybe give you an idea of what we're going to be coming back to um, next Wednesday night. So, book of Hebrews, as we have been on our Wednesday nights, we have been taking a different book every single Wednesday night. So we started in Genesis, we're going to end up in the Revelation at some point, somewhere down the road, but every Wednesday night, and so whether it's a big book like Isaiah that has how many chapters? 66? Quite a few. Quite a few, okay. So like Isaiah that has 66 chapters, and Philemon has how many chapters? One. One, okay. So whether it's a big book or a small book, we've been trying to take a book every single night. So you may say, well, Spence, you just said that, and now... Bless you. So we are going to, uh, we've been trying to encapsulate it, but um, having spent an extended period of time in prayer, we're just going to look at the background. So that's what we've been trying to do is look at the book, look at these books and say, who wrote them? When were they written? Who were they written to? What were they written about? And maybe look at the high points that we can see. So let's start with some background. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Okay. Okay. Do we know? So we have opinions, right? We have we have opinions. Um, so here in the outline that I use, it says it is the only book in the New Testament where scholars are unsure of its author. So if somebody tells you they know who wrote the book of Hebrews, then you can say, you know what? You may have an opinion, but you do not have definite knowledge of who wrote the book of Hebrews. So what are some opportunities? So Phoebe, ha- or uh, sorry, Candy said Apollos, I think. Um, Phoebe said Apollos. Um, Ron said Paul. Who else has been thrown out there before as being an author of the book of Hebrews? So there is uh, my preaching professor at Southwestern Seminary, Dr. David Allen. He wrote an entire 280-page book on making a case that Luke... Luke was the author of the book of Hebrews. And he is a Greek stud. And so he went back because a lot of the grammar in the original language in the letter in the book of Hebrews is different than that of... Paul's letters, um, whether it's the prison epistles, the pastoral epistles, or the letters. <coughs> Excuse me. Some people have excused that by saying, well, yeah, but in some of those letters, Paul used a amanuensis. Remember that term? Amanuensis. It was somebody that he would dictate to. So Paul, <coughs> who spent a lot of his time chained up in prison, didn't really have a lot of freedom to write, so they would bring in some type of a... Stenographer? Is that the name they use in the courts? What, what, scribe? Okay. So what, what is a stenographer? Isn't that they use in courts? Okay, so they would bring in somebody that then would Paul would dictate them the letter. So some people say, well, that's why you have a, a textual variation between Paul's letters and the book of Hebrews. There's really not, obviously I already said it, nobody really knows. So some people say Paul wrote it. Some people say Apollos wrote it. Uh, my preaching professor, Dr. David Allen, said Luke wrote it, and he went back to the grammar and said, look at the similarities and look at the, the way the, the grammar is structured, and it's just like Luke does it, and it's like a medical doctor, and so therefore I say Luke did it. So we really don't know. Then there's even some people out there <clears throat> that would posit or suggest that it was a sermon of Paul that was recorded by Luke. 
people have, I've read some people that say it was a sermon by Paul written down by Apollos. Some people have said it was a sermon by Apollos written down by Luke because Apollos was known as a great orator and he was there at Ephesus before Paul showed up at Ephesus. And and Apollos had interactions with um, Priscilla and Aquila, you know, and, and so there was that interaction there. We do not know. If you said, Spence, you've got to make a decision who who wrote the book of Hebrews. Where I'm going to land today, very loosely, is I'm going to land that it was a sermon of Paul's written down by Apollos. Why do I do that? Because that seems to be the most minority position out there, and I kind of like being with the underdog from time to time. So, that's the only reason why I hold that position. So the question is, is, well, who wrote it? We really don't know exactly who wrote it. Obviously, it was someone that knew how to write Greek, and it was obviously somebody that had a intimate knowledge with not just the Hebrew people, but the Hebrew religion. Because the majority of the book of Hebrews has to do with intricacies and particulars about their religion. Now, when they look at some of the dates that are listed, or when they look at some, I'm sorry, some of the references that are listed in the letter to the Hebrews, and some of, and they, and they cross-reference them, they kind of come up with a ballpark that they think it was written somewhere between 67 and 69 A.D. Now, if you think the last writings of Paul, like even 2 Timothy, was right around 64, 65 A.D., they think somewhere shortly after that is where he was beheaded. So that is why they are thinking that it probably wasn't Paul because Paul possibly was already dead by this time. Or maybe it was a message that Apollos had listened to Paul preach, had recorded it down, and then after Paul had died, almost as a uh, memorial, sent it off. There is lots of questions. Okay, so don't know who wrote it. Kind of have a ballpark idea idea when it was written. Who is Hebrews written to? Hebrews. Hebrews, okay. So is that a city? Is that a town? Is that a geography? A people. A people. An ethnicity is how I would describe it. I would I would describe it as an ethnicity. So who are who are the Hebrews? Jewish Christians, okay, God's chosen people. Are there still Hebrews today? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are still Hebrews today. So Hebrews is just the ethnicity. So instead of writing to um, Chinese, instead of writing to Germans, or instead of writing to Russians, he is writing to Hebrews, ethnic people that were chosen by God. Has that choosing by God ceased? So, the Hebrew people today are still God's chosen people today. Yes? I think it's really important for us not only to keep reminding ourselves about that, but then also being supportive of that. Because there is going to come and there is currently all kinds of opposition that is aimed at not only the nation of Israel, which is the Hebrew nation, whether it's Jewish, whether it's Israel, or whether it's Hebrew, they're all, it's just synonymous for the same people, but there are active forces opposing the Jewish people. Now, where does that come from? The devil. The devil. Hitler. 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 Well, we see this even biblically, right? So where does all of the Islamic people, where do they come from 
genealogically? Ishmael. Ishmael, right? And who was Ishmael? And his name means blessing. Odd. That's how we need to pray for Sure, sure. But who is Ishmael? He was the son of Abraham, right? So, so Abraham is supposed to have a have, have a son by Sarah, or you, at that time was Sarai. God said, "I'm going to give you a son." He told Abraham, and, and I think sometimes we're a little bit harsh on Abraham, but he told Abraham when Abraham was how many years old? He was 75. So he was set close. It was close within a few. So he was 75 years old. God said, Abram, I am going to give you a wife, you and your wife, Sarai, who Sarai at the time was 65, said, I'm going to give you all a son. And he's like, cool. I'm all for it. And then the years started passing and the years started going. He was a hundred, to Ron's benefit, he was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Can you imagine running around for 25 years saying, God told me he's going to do it. I don't think we give the guy enough credit for then saying, well, maybe I misunderstood God. Maybe God meant somewhere else. So in this 25 year gap of waiting, what's God going to do? We're getting older. This just seems like it's going to become more and more complicated. The longer we go, it's not working out. About that time, Sarai said, hey, take Hagar, my servant, have a son through her. And that's where Ishmael came from, right? And even it tells us back all the way back in the book of Genesis, whenever Hagar and Ishmael are sent out by Sarah, God comes to Hagar and says, from his lineage will come a whole new group of people and they will constantly be in conflict and at war with the Hebrews. So when we look around there and they talk about having their Middle East peace talks, they they can have all the Middle East peace talks they want, but until they do something with the Bible, because the Bible says that until Jesus rectifies the whole situation, they're going to be at odds with each other. Now, does that mean that you and I just look at it and go, well, God said they're going to fight all the time, so just let them go at it? No, we need to be supportive. And we need to understand those are still God's chosen people. So when he's writing the letter to the Hebrews, he's not writing it to a city, a town, a region. You think about some of these other letters, like Philemon was written to an individual, right? They're in the town of... Colossae? Oh my God. F. Okay. And then, so, so then, so you have Philemon, who was at Colossae, right? And then you have, then you have Titus, and Titus was, where? Anybody remember Titus? Titus? No? 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 Okay. He was in Crete. Okay. Bless your hearts. Okay, so he was in Crete, alright? And then before that, he's writing to Timothy. And before that, he gets where he's writing to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? And those are all local areas, local churches, okay? So the, the writer here is writing the letter of Hebrews. He is writing it to an entire nation. It would be similar to like the President of the United States getting on NBC, CBS, and ABC and making an address to the nation. That's what like this is. Okay, So we don't know exactly who wrote it. We don't know, uh, kind of have a time frame of when they wrote it. We know who they wrote it to. Does anybody have a, have a guess? Does any of your Bibles, kind of in the summary heading at the very beginning, say, what is the main theme of the book? Do what? Yes. So Jesus is God. That's right. That's right. Okay. Anybody else have something else that says? What did you say? God's supreme revelation. God's supreme revelation? Is that what you said? 
Okay. Mine Im- says the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay. The bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Anybody else have a, another heading? Christianity is superior to Judaism. Okay. Christianity is superior to Judaism. So in the heading... Mine is something totally different. Work, it shows the value of work within the Christian servanthood. Okay, but the idea, the main theme, and we're going to come back to this next week, but the main theme is, is the writer of Hebrews is saying that in the Old Testament tradition and in the historical, traditional Hebrew tradition, how were you made right with God? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice of what? Sacrifice of sheep, sacrifice of goods, sacrifice of blood. You had to offer something, something had to be burnt, something had to be given up. All of these are the means by which you were right with God. Yes? So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is since Jesus has now come, all of those old means of us trying to be right with God, which were never perfect and were never sufficient and were never perpetual and perpetual just means it just goes on and on and on and on and on. That it, All of those things that we did day after day, year after year because they never, it never lasted when Jesus came and He paid the price. His atonement for our sins was not only sufficient, but it was perpetual. Which means you don't need to get saved every single day. His salvation yesterday is good for today and it will be good for tomorrow. It is enduring. And so he's saying those things that by which you may write with God, all of those methods, those are now void, not necessary because you have Jesus. Now you have a certain number of Hebrews that are sitting there going, well, yeah, but let's just argue this about this Jesus guy. So what we're going to see next week is now for the next 13 chapters, systematically the writer of Hebrews comes in and says, okay, Hebrew, Hebrew tradition was this, this is what Christ did, and this is how Christ is better than the Hebrew tradition. And, and this is what Christ did, which is reflective of the Hebrew tradition, and this is why it's better. In fact, at one point, he will say later on about how the priest has to get up daily to offer the sacrifices for God on behalf of the people, and Christ stood up once, offered His sacrifice, and then sat down forever. So as you're reading this, and you're going, do I really believe in this Jesus dude? And is it really? Is this really as good as they say it is? And is He really the Messiah? And is He really the one, the Christ? And the writer of Hebrews comes in and says, yes, 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 yes. So, I hope, I hope you come next week with a little bit more excitement than you're demonstrating right now. Because there's some really cool stuff. There's some really cool stuff in here because we are, we as a people cannot relate to an Old Testament tradition that says the only way we're right with God is by keeping a perfect life. Or the only way that we're right with God is that we have to make a trip to Jerusalem three times a year and offer the sacrifices. Or the only way we're right with God is that if we have a lamb that is unblemished, a perfect lamb. And we're going to sacrifice that lamb and give that lamb up because of our sin. We have no way that we can relate to that because we are, we are just have been under the blood of Jesus Christ. I have a family of eight these days. 
And so the boys and I were sitting around the kitchen table last night eating supper and uh, talking about maybe trying to go find a place to go stay overnight. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge on lodging. Because uh, a lot of your places, they think of six kids, they think of destruction and vandalism and cost. And so they're not the most, you know, opening. And so you start looking at a state park and you're at a cabin. Well, the most you can sleep in the cabin is five. So now we've got to rent two cabins. I mean, just on and on and on. And one of the boys popped off and said, well, Dad, why don't you just rent a VRBO? A vacation rental by owner. It's verbo is the slang they use. Well, Dad, why don't you just get one of those? And I said, well, have you checked on one of those? Well, no. I said, well, go get the computer out. He gets the computer out and he starts looking up. And he's like, Dad, it's like $400 a night for this verbo. And I was like, I know. I know. See, you've been, see, you've been so spoiled, son, just because you don't ever have to think about what things cost. All you know is, is we're with Dad. Dad always pays. We're good. And you don't ever have to think about the cost of things and, and the logistics of things because you've always been in cap- you, you just you, You've been spoiled, right? Right? And so you don't have to think about that. And so he said there, and I'm like, so son, these are things that you think about <laughs> when you're thinking about, hey, well, let's go stay overnight someplace. Well, that sounds great. And so you start thinking about logistics and it's not anybody else's fault. Six kids, I it's all my my fault, Jaylene's. So, but at the same time, it is a it, it's you know it, it's a challenge, right? So I think about that in the relation to Hebrews and the fact that sometimes we forget just what a blessing it is to be under the work of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. So next week, next week, here's what I'm asking you to do. Next week, come back. Have figured out between now and then who wrote the book of Hebrews because because we could really do a lot of ministry in this world if we could come up with a definite proof of who wrote the book of Hebrews. And then if you get time, 13 chapters, you could do a chapter and a half a day over the next seven days. But we're going to come back and we are going to look at the book of Hebrews and go through these 13 chapters and just look and see the different ways that he makes this argument. Some of it, some of it will um, border on the area of what they call apologetics and that is just defending your faith and defending why you believe what you believe. And so some of that is is here where we get to say, this is why Christ is better because of what Christ did. And also it's good for us just to be reminded of the gift that we have and what Christ has done for us. As unworthy as we are and as undeserving, He still died for us. So that's what the writer of Hebrews wants to convey is that this is how Christ is better than Moses. This is how Christ is better than the Old Testament traditions. This is how Christ is better than the Hebrew traditions. This is how Christ is the Messiah, the Savior for all people. So that's where we're going to be. So I'm going to stop right there.